Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. This is another special podcast of Miracles Behind the Veil, where we come together with a special friend of mine that's been working in Asia and with women that are from a Muslim background belief, and she has been able to connect with so many former Muslim believers that are now Christians that have great testimonies. This is one of those special podcasts where you will only hear this story here on this podcast. Bono, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Great, great to have you back for another week. And I'm excited to hear about another testimony that uh, you have come across while working together with these former Muslim believers. Yes, yes, I'm excited to share with our team here. So I'm very excited. You know, uh, you just, usually right before we do a podcast, you kind of give me a little bit of an introduction. You kind of whet my appetite a little bit. And uh, this time you are going to be sharing about a wealthy businesswoman's wife. Or I'm sorry, a wealthy businessman's wife. Um, yes. And uh, one of the things that I've, I've learned while working with Muslims is that if you are a wealthy businessman, um, mm-hmm. you don't really need your wife that much. Uh, to put it bluntly, <laughs> I mean, if you're a wealthy <laughs> businessman in a Muslim background, I don't know what her culture is like. Sometimes culture dictates, right? But mm-hmm. in a lot mm-hmm. of the places where I work, where there are wealthy Muslims, um, they uh, they oftentimes can just start off with you know having one wife. But if that wife doesn't make them happy, they go and get another one. And even if that wife does make them happy, if they're wealthy businessmen, uh, they can have more than one wife. Uh, let's yeah. let's hear what you have to say on that. I mean, is that something that you've come? Is that common in India or not common in India? Um, thankfully, this man is not like that. This man is all he needs is Jesus, and he would be the best person on the earth. <laughs> so, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, my friend doesn't have to go through that. So, he is spending all his, um, he wants to spend all his money building mosques, building Islamic center, and he is a kind of guy, like, you know, they have a rosy picture of Islam, you know, like, Islam is a perfect thing, and uh, they just try to overlook other things. And one one thing my friend mentioned, that she had a conversation about how can this be right, you know, having multiple women. And her husband said, like, I'm not going to do that, but you know what? It's really important that, you know, if a woman is poor or something, it's better in Islam that we get married and give life to her. They always think that way. So that's the justification they usually Muslim men have is like, okay, that woman is poor. So if I just get married to her and then supply all her needs, and physical needs and mental needs and everything. So I'm doing something good and not evil to that person. So that's the mindset of 
that's how they justify having four wife or whatever. Yeah, and that's something that makes us different. And, and I'm going to probably make a lot of my Christian brothers and sisters very upset at me, and they're going to they're going to attack me with machine gun scriptures. I know it. I can already see it coming. But the truth is, if we read throughout the Old Testament, we see that those that followed after God, many of them had more than one wife. Uh, we see that those that God chose had children with more than one woman. And we see the problems that that caused, but we also saw that it was something that happened um, and we can't deny it. So it, that doesn't make Islam wrong, the fact that they choose more than one wife. And that might be very much the case. I think that there's a lot of situations where um, marrying more than one woman can be a situation where you're helping someone out of poverty. Now, I know... Yeah that there are going to be many people that will attack me right away. <laughs> Let me just say, <laughs> I do not believe in, in having more than one wife. But I do also know that this is something that has taken place throughout time. And it's only mm -hmm. recently that we see all these laws that, are, that have taken place in the last thousand years or so, especially in Christendom, where only one wife is taken. And that goes back to Adam and Eve, the idea of flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. So tell me yeah. about this this story of your friend that you've been connecting with that is a secret believer. Yes, I come across a lot of secret believers, uh, and I interview pretty much everybody. And um, this one, she is my favorite and my best friend. Now she's my best friend, but initially when she called me, she said, my husband has gone to Mecca and I heard that you're taking a testimonies out. Is this a good <clears throat> time for me to share my testimony? Because I can do it only when my husband is not in town. And most probably he goes to Mecca whenever he gets time. <laughs> That's his favorite place to be. He feels peace there. And here she is like, as you are going there, let me glorify Jesus here. <laughs> That's, that was her mind when she called me and I was impressed and I'm like okay tell me about everything and I want to hear all your story she said you know I cannot go out but I want to tell the whole world how good Jesus is please take my story out I am inside but my story can travel you know so that impressed me so much. And every time Eugene, this woman, opens her mouth, she speaks Oracle. <laughs> and uh, she just said, this is our introduction, okay? And then she said, I don't know if I have done anything for the Lord, but um, the only thing I could do right now is I brought all my three teenagers to the Lord. And I'm like, are you kidding? That's the hardest thing in the world, bringing your own teenagers to the Lord. That's not an easy task. Eugene, you have been there, and we all have been there. So that is her ministry. That's what she called. That's the only thing I've done for Jesus. Like, can, I, can, I, can I just back up and ask um, if I can, if this doesn't risk any security, uh, feel free uh -huh. to punt this or pass on it if it does risk security. But how did you meet with her? And what name will okay. we give her? Do you, Can we give her a name? It doesn't have to be a real name, but maybe we can make up a name for her? Yes, Sadiman. Sa okay, Sadiman. So um, uh -huh. exactly how did you meet Sadiman? Uh, 
Okay. So uh, after COVID, you know, the Zoom calls have become very popular. So um, we just got connected to all this ex-Muslim, one telling another, the other one telling another, you know. So usually we, it was hard to find ex-Muslims. But during this COVID, somehow people were in the Internet and they all got connected. And we started having, a, you can call it an underground Zoom group or whatever, underground church or whatever you want to call it. So we started meeting. And there are women joining us from Saudi Arabia. Uh, this woman doesn't live in India. The story I'm going to talk, she lives in another country. So people like we have many women coming in that group and most of them know that I collect testimonies and I told them because you don't speak English it doesn't mean that uh, you cannot testify you can tell me and I will just go and tell people so that's how I met her okay so you have this group that you have maintained online that kind of really started to grow during COVID when people haven't been able to leave their homes how do they find this after group? COVID in oh, sorry, kind sorry, of after like, COVID. You know, yeah yeah. So after COVID, how do people find this this group? How do they find this this group of people that you're running on Zoom, um, this chat room, or or however you want to refer to it? How do they find it? I mean, uh, somehow I think there are many ex-Muslim than ever before. Eugene, they they just one of my friend actively work. She just goes to churches and she asked, hey, do you have any Muslim convert believers? Like, we would like them if they need a community. And so one tells the other, the other tells the other. It's like, it, it's growing. Like, just women alone are more than 50 in this small group. I'm talking about this small group. I, I haven't gone to this youth group or I'm not talking about the men group, the men or anything. This is just a woman. And uh, there are many other women who could not join even in this group. But, you know, I'm just talking about very handful <laughs> out of a big lot. So the, it, I think the moment has come, like, where people are leaving Islam, which is, like, it, it is happening. I completely agree. I mean, it's something that I'm seeing as well, where there is this exodus of people leaving Islam. And this is one of the reasons why Islam has to be so protective over their religion. For those of you that are listening to our podcast, you'll know that I talk about this quite a bit. If you're new to our podcast, one of the things to know about Islam is that it is a lie. And one of the ways that you can identify it as a lie is the fact that it has to use the threat of force and even death in order to keep you mm -hmm. in the religion. Uh, if you leave mm -hmm. the religion, if you are an apostate or someone who walks away from the faith, uh, especially mm -hmm. if you are a believer and you accept Christianity in place of Islam, family members can search you out. Law enforcement officials can search you out. They will hunt you down like a wild animal and kill you yeah. for leaving the faith. Now, is it different in every country? Absolutely. Malaysia, Indonesia is not the same as being in Saudi Arabia or Yemen. Sudan yeah. and Somalia is not the same as being in Iran. But yeah. there is a similarity between all of these nations where it is illegal 
to share or minister to those. One of the things that I've been very interested in and I've reported and I've seen it's been one of our most popular posts on our website this week is the One World Religion Headquarters that's being built right now in Abu Dhabi. The One mm -hmm. World Religion Headquarters, for those of you that, that haven't read about this, you need to go to our website and see what I've put on there because it's being built right now. We, we have the, the um, backtojerusalem.com. If you go there, uh, you will find in our archives uh, for this month, for the month of September, you will find that uh, I did an article or I put up an article uh, specifically about the One World Religion headquarters and how it's set to open this year. And okay. the, the, the headquarters is called the Abrahamic Family House. Uh, it is supposed to be open in Abu Dhabi within the, within the year. It is launched by a document that's called the Human Fraternity and it's been signed by Pope Francis himself on behalf of the Catholic Church, as well as a Muslim that's pretty prominent in the Middle East by a guy by the name of Ahmed Al-Tayeb. And Ahmed Al-Tayeb is the one that is representing the mosque. And so what this One World Religion headquarters is, is it's a compound, if you will, of three major buildings. One is a church, one is a mosque, and one is a synagogue. And so there's, there's, uh, it's, you know, all of the Abrahamic faiths all in one. Here's the problem with this, or the big problem. This one world religion, which is supposed to do what? Promote tolerance for all religions. Guess what? It is being built in Abu Dhabi, which is in the United Arab Emirates. There, if you convert to Christianity, you can be put to death. How's that for tolerance? And you're going to build the One World Religion headquarters there for tolerance? Yeah, I, I'm not convinced. And the person that is in charge, this person that I said that came on, this uh, Ahmed El Tayeb as the person representing Islam, he is known for saying that anyone who becomes a Muslim apostate should be killed. That's a direct quote. You think this guy is going to be promoting tolerance? Not on your life. He is one that is pushing for the United Nations to promote tolerance, which is a one-way tolerance. It says this, you cannot say anything against Islam because that is being Islamophobic. You cannot say anything about Muhammad because that's being insensitive. What does the United Nations do to protect Christianity? Not a darn thing. Do you think that this one world religion is going to do anything to promote Christianity in the Middle East? Not on your life. There can't even be a cross being put up too high because any cross on any building in the Middle East is illegal if it is higher than the lowest minaret or the lowest mosque symbol. So we see that the anti-blasphemy laws in the United Arab Emirates are just not conducive for such tolerant for for uh, any tolerant kind of uh, joint venture. Let's put it that way. This one world religion right. has one meaning, one meaning only, and that is to confuse everybody to think that this is about peace, but it's not about peace. The reason I bring that up is because when you have somebody uh, like what we're talking about here, what Banu talking about her friend Sadiman, when they leave Islam, their life is in danger, either from the nation or their community or their family. 
So it's very often that women or people that are former Muslims, they keep it a secret. And I'm understanding, if I hear you correctly, Banu, Saniman has to keep the fact that she's a Christian a secret or no? Is she able to... Yes, if you, if you see her in the airport or her daughters, they are fully covered. They are in full hijab. You would not be able to tell that they are a, a Christian. And here's one thing I want to make a note as you brought up this one world religion and stuff. You can talk to any ex-Muslim you want in the world. You can talk to anybody. Nobody would agree Yahweh for our, our God and Allah are the same because we know both the texts. The character is different. Everything is different. And I really don't know why Christian feel excited about that and the Abraham that they are talking the difference is like our God ate with Abraham but in the Islamic Abraham or Ibrahim whatever they call God did not eat with him like nobody has seen God and the difference ends there they haven't seen God our God and their God is different how do I explain to a Christian that, no, we don't worship the same God, you know? <laughs> so, I don't know. Do you think it's a Christian problem or a Muslim problem? Eugene, I do not know, because why do Christians have to agree on a fake God? I don't think any Muslim would say that Allah and Yahweh are same. The characteristics is different. Everything is so different. So why would we agree on that? I, we're going to get to the story of this woman here in a minute. I'm very excited to hear, but what you bring up is very, very important uh, because of something that I've been speaking about for about a year, and that is our God is the freedom of choice. Our God is the freedom of speech God. It says that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is so important because this idea of Logos, being deified is John's expression of being an artist and to introduce a new concept to the followers of Yahweh that in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God John 1 1 this is the beginning of John's gospel and it relates directly to the beginning of the word altogether in the beginning God created. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning God created. In the beginning was the Word. We have this conjunction, this combination of the beginning of creation and the beginning of the gospel. Both of them are combined. How? In this way. God created man with choice. He never made Adam robotic. He allowed, one of the things that the, the tree in the garden represents is choice. That means this, our God allows us to love him or not love him because God is a God of love and love can only exist with choice. If you don't have a choice, that's not love. Love can yeah. only exist when you have the choice to not love. And God does not make you love him. He wants you to love him. He chases after your love, but in the end, he gives you the choice. The enemy never gives you the choice. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether it's Hinduism, Islam, 
Buddhism, or atheism. Guys, I have lived in an atheist country most of my life. I've spent quite a bit of time in Muslim nations as well as Hindu nations as well as Buddhist nations. And I can tell you in those nations, you do not get a choice. In India, you can have the choice of which Hindu God you want to serve. But if you choose to serve Christ in many areas, you can be hunted down, not by Muslims, not by Buddhists, but by Hindus. Hacked up and killed for your belief in Jesus Christ, even though they have a plethora of gods you can choose from. But there's one God that's off limits. Same with Buddhism. A lot of people, they think of Buddhists as being these loving, gentle, uh, enlightened individuals. Guys, I've been to Tibet. I've spent time in Nepal, and I've spent a lot of time hiking in the mountains of Bhutan. I can tell you that some of the most intolerant people in the world and most violent towards Christians, even more than most Muslims that I've met, are Buddhists. I wrote a book called Leaving Buddha. If you think Buddhists are peaceful, read that book one time. This is a former Lama who studied under the Dalai Lama, and they chained him up, kill, uh, tried to kill him after several hours of torture. They wanted to slow roast him over three days to kill him in a slow, methodic, painful way. Why? Because he chose to believe in Jesus. However, Christians are different. You know, whenever you hear people talk about, well, I don't believe that there's a God. Why is it that people that don't believe that there's a God insist that you also don't believe that there's a God? There's a spirit on atheism unlike any other religion in the world. I see it in North Korea. I see it in Vietnam. I see it in China. I see it in Cuba. Atheists, which is what communism is, it is the endorsement of atheism. Atheists are the least tolerant of all. You must abandon your religion to Jesus Christ and accept atheism. There's no God. There's only science. More people have died under communist regimes that enforce atheism than any other religious nation in the world. Most people, when you think about mass killers in the world, people will knee-jerk reaction, talk about Hitler. Some will go to Stalin. But I tell you, Mao Zedong killed more than 70 million people. People, many of them because they refuse to deny Jesus Christ. So what you're saying, Banu, I just wanted to take a moment and pause for our audience because it is important for our audience to know that this is one of the first signs of a false religion is when that religion has to enforce what they teach with yeah. death or a lie. Christians allow you the choice. Why? Because we believe in the truth. And if you don't want to accept the truth, that's your prerogative. We can't force you. God didn't force you. I can't force you. That's why you have freedom of religion in Christian nations. You have freedom of choice in Christian nations. You do not have that in Muslim nations, yeah. Hindu nations, Buddhist nations, or atheist nations. Islam is submission, Eugene. And how can a freedom and submission be one? <laughs> I don't understand. So it's, you, you made a right point there. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so you have your friend... Uh, mm-hmm. Sadiman believes in Jesus. Sadima, Fatima. Sadima. How, how did she become a Christian? Okay, so she is. She lives in a very different country where there is no, not many Christian, and they don't speak about religion. And her husband was developing a business, and she gave birth to twins. 
And what happened is, like she said, they both were premature baby. And um, after the C-section, one of the one day she just felt like she was bleeding profusely from that uh, the area where they did surgery, and she started having chills and fever, and they took her to the hospital. And the situation was very hopeless. And the doctors were afraid because the infection has um, has started spreading to her organs. And there was like no hope. And she has three little children, two babies and one more child at home. And she, is, she was crying all the time in her bed. And then she said there was only one nurse who was wearing a cross because in that country, you, they cannot preach the gospel. They cannot talk about the religion or anything uh, at school or at hospital or anything. So, but she said that, that I had several nurses coming, but this woman was different. She would come, sit near me, wipe my tears and say, said, I'll be praying for you. I'm praying for you. That's the only word she said. And doctors have pretty much given up. They did another surgery and they were hopeless. But it was a miracle that her stitches started, you know, healing. And when she looks back, you know, she can recognize a lot of things that the Lord has done. At that time, she did not think anything about this nurse or anything, but she saw there was something different. She comes back home with a get busy with the baby and with Islam because she is the one like who would ask her husband to pray. She was the one who orchestrated like everything. Like you should go to mosque, you should pray. <laughs> I mean, she started everything at home. And after a few months, like every ten months, she started noticing a pattern in her family, like. Her sister, who was in her 40s, died. After 10 months, it was her older sister's daughter, who was in her 20s, died. And then the third sister husband, Every it was like a sudden death, no clue, and it was a pattern. And like every 10 months, it was like, a, you know, something, it was not right. Even an unbeliever or even... People who know nothing could see the pattern here, and she did not understand what was going on. And in her mind, she knew she was the next because the pattern was following, like the sudden death was just coming upon the entire family. So she was crying, and there's another ex-Muslim who is despised by everybody <laughs> because nobody likes her because she, she, she left Islam. Of course, they did not kill her, but you know the you know the way they treat her is <clears throat> was not right. So it was the death situation. She comes to her house and she said, "I'm going to stay with you tonight because you're mourning." And that night, she said, "This is kind of an attack. This is kind of a curse. You need to come to Jesus. Only Jesus can deliver you." She has done everything possible in Islam. She did not know what else to do. And she just agreed to pray with her. And then her friend introduced to another believer who gave her Bible. So she said, I wasn't much interested in 
Christianity or anything. All I wanted was to get out of this pattern. And nobody has given me hope before. If I pray, things would happen. It's only the Christians are the ones who are talking about the curse breaking. They are the ones who are talking about Jesus can do this. Nobody tells Allah can do this. I mean, like, like there's no promising thing. So after 10 months, she noticed the thing, like, you know, things started settling in her life and there was a little bit of beacon of hope in her. So... And then she said, I didn't leave, believe Christianity right away, you know, but I was happy that things started falling in place. And I still was doing my Islamic thing. I was praying. And I would also just, you know, keep the Jesus as a side, like a prophet who was hearing my prayer. And then her young husband, her children are little, had, um, was diagnosed with a skin cancer fourth stage out of nowhere. And that's when she just recognized, okay, God, she said, I was holding the Bible the way I would hold Jesus's feet. And she said, I cried and I cried and I cried and asked Jesus to give him life. You told a man, uh, man need help or you, the marriage was your idea, God. So please help me. And I will follow you all the days of my life. It wasn't like a Jesus appeared or anything, but she just got faith at that moment. And then a man of God sent her a letter because she started uh, telling everybody to pray for her husband. So a man of God sends her a letter and he said, he sent her the Bible verse, Micah seven fifteen. I will do mighty miracles for you. That's another interesting point we have to mention here, uh, Eugene. Like, we read Bible verses, but these women take Bible words as a promise and start claiming this promise day and night. If God has given this word for her, she believed it with all her heart, with all her mind, with all her strength, and she knew this is the word, and she started praying with this word. And long story short, her husband, like there was only one layer that they said fourth stage, but the skin cancer was just on one layer and she did not know how miraculously everything just got settled and she devoted her life to Jesus and started working with her children and her life is not easy. She has memorized like hundreds of Bible verses and she can quote you from anywhere you ask her. And I told her, how did you do that? And she said, I don't know. There may be a day where my Bible would be taken away from me. So what will I do if I do not know the Bible verse? So I am making sure that I am drinking everything out of that. So when I have a chance and her husband walks in, she would just put the Bible under the couch, under the bookshelf, like she has to hide the Bible all the time from her husband. So it's a very unique, faith-filled story. And the way she raised her children, the way she submits to her husband, everything touches me so much, Eugene. 
the other day she said, I submit to my husband and I don't want anything. I don't want to have my own way, but I always submit to his leadership. You know what? One day he's going to find out that I am a Christian. And that day I don't want uh, him to be blaming my God. Because, you know, in their mind, they think that if it was an Islamic wife, she would be super obedient or whatever. But now she does not want to get any chances and she has been working inside her family so strong, like, you know, slowly digging a hole <laughs> inside her side of the family, like her sisters and brothers. She is inside, but she is evangelizing to many Muslims more than we could ever do it. So. Has she told you anything about the people that she's ministering to? Has that been safe for her to talk about? Or does she just talk about it generally as she's doing it but doesn't give you specifics? Um, how is she able to minister to others? Do you know? She, she said, like, her husband went out, you know, after all this final checkup and everything, the cancer was over. So she knew that. Her husband is not going to meet the doctor. She said, I ran inside and I told the doctor, Jesus that I worship is the one who healed my husband. You know, Jesus is true living God. He can do miracles. So she takes every opportunity. Like, example, she shared this story to me. Like, she takes every possible effort. And she also, um, you know, because of the money she has, so she has been sponsoring to her side of the family, like her sisters and brother and the niece and nephew, because and she's with that support. Then they are all listening to her. That none of them have become a Christian. But here's one thing that interesting happened. She told gospel to her sister and told her to visit the church. Her mom was sick, so she asked her sister to take her to the church. And uh, they both went, and the sister comes home, take her Muslim prayer mat, and start praying in the evening. And the sister hears a loud voice calling her name, and then she sees the bright light. And sister truly knows that she met Jesus that day. But you know what's her excuse? She said, I am a slave of Allah. How can I follow this God? Even after Jesus appearing to her, calling her name, she is like, as we talked earlier, like the slavery and uh, freedom. She said, I am the slave of Allah, so I cannot follow this God. So there are people who are making choices, who don't make choice. But this woman is persistent. She is my dear friend right now. And it's, oh my gosh, she is full of faith. I, I love these faith. stories. I love these stories because these are, like you said, there is an exodus taking place in the Muslim world. This is just one story of many. This is, this is one of those stories that is taking place and they're not being announced. They're not being written in books. They're not making it onto video programs or TV programs or podcasts because a lot of these individuals are fighting their battles silently together with Christ and it's happening 
in a way where I think the world is missing it. This might be one of the biggest news stories in the world that the world is missing. And that is there's a demographic change taking place in the Muslim world where many Muslims are leaving the faith, even though their life is being threatened, even though the safety of their family is being threatened, even though their livelihoods and their jobs and their status in society is being threatened. They're still Mm -hmm. making the choice to follow after Jesus. And maybe people have said this before. I don't know, Bono, but right now I kind of feel like this is a special time in history. Like it's never happened before that there's something taking place. There's a shaking and everything that can be shaken is being shaken. And it is a reminder that this world is not our home and Jesus is coming back. Right. And one more thing I wanted to tell here, Eugene, is like, yes, we are talking about lots of ex-Muslim. They are being exposed, like the Quran is being exposed like never before. Like I, but many of them are becoming atheist. So people, Christians, when they are trying to become more tolerant, as we discussed before, and trying to safeguard or whatever they are trying to do, they think they are they are hard people. It's hard to reach out to them. But you know what is happening on the other side? They, there are many ex-Muslims who are atheists. Like this, I could have never dreamt that would happen. There are YouTube channels in Urdu trashing Islam, trashing Islam in Urdu, their own language that Pakistanis and a lot of uh, uh, Indian Muslims speak, they are trashing, like two big countries are being, uh, like they're listening in their own language what Muhammad did or what is happening. So I think it's high time that we Christians just agreeing with them and so we can just stand out and preach the gospel and, and people are desperate because they are desperate. If we don't tell the gospel, then the other side, enemy is either way winning, like they are becoming an atheist. So there's a lot of ex-Muslim atheist thing, and, and they are more bold than Christians lately. That's that's another sad thing. Like, uh, it, it's crazy. You could see that. So I just say, like, Islam is not as hard as we think to reach out, uh, but there has been... So many research that has been made. Like, did you see recently there are like, when I was growing up, they said there was only one Quran, never corrupted, nothing. But did you see recently they found like 40 different kind of Quran that has been recited in different countries in a different way? Did you? Did no, you I, I, I haven't. That? Yeah, I haven't seen that. I followed, I've been following it quite closely and I know that there are different versions, uh, but I have not seen that recent report. What do you know about it? Um, I mean, there's like that was that is the founding. Like you know, they always we have different translations. So every time they attack, they said the Bible has been corrupted because look at your translation, this, that, blah, blah, blah. But we, our Quran is the same. It has never been changed. Every word since that was dictated to is, uh, to Muhammad is the same till now. That's what majority of Muslims believe. And that is one of the pillars that they hold on to. Like, okay, if something has not been changed, 
then this is this should be true you know that's one of the things so now bringing so many quran from different countries reciting a different different surahs in a different different ways so now that pillar has been shaken you know so god is shaking as you said like everything is they were holding on to is being shaken a lot of christians have put so much effort and research there's so many material i would highly encourage any of the listeners to just study and you know one thing that <laughs> usually islam to their children instead of teaching them islam they teach us how other religion are bad <laughs> that's why our religion is good that that that's the way that i was taught you know like bible is corrupted jesus is not god see hindus are worshiping that's why our religion is better ours is the final word so putting others down and elevating islam that that has been a constant um and uh, that has been a constant lie and that same lie that they are spreading in america uh two thirds of uh I, this This is a Pew Research Engine. Two-thirds of uh, Americans who are becoming a, a Muslim come from an evangelical background. So which is shocking because they bring all these lies and Christians are not aware of it, how to answer. So there's so much research available, like as you said, that one religion, one faith, whatever, because... our christians are not strong enough to answer all this question so the deception is that it's a it's a it's very high deception is very high that's yeah, what no, i feel yeah what you're saying is absolutely true um i did a podcast last year uh with a young man from the united states i actually think he was from the area that you're calling right now um mm-hmm. he had become a muslim and uh he had commented on our website on one of the articles that we posted about how evil christians are and that's why he as a former christian became a muslim because he discovered the truth so i asked him if he would come on to our podcast and explain to us why he became a muslim after being a christian and he i i'm thankful not everybody uh is willing to come on our podcast when they're sometimes they're very loud and and brave yep. online as keyboard warriors but very few of them are willing to come onto our podcast and defend their ideas so but this one did he did and it was it was really enlightening because i didn't attack him i just wanted him to open up and share and he said you know well i believe that you know any god that re- would require the sacrifice of his own son is an evil god because that is such an evil act. I mean, what kind of loving father would want their own son to die? And I said, "Okay, I can understand that point of view. I will give you that idea, but let me ask you this. Is it more loving to take a life or to give a life?" Because the Bible says very clearly that Jesus said, "No one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down." He did so for our sins. But those that opposed Muhammad were killed unwillingly. Muhammad did not lay down his life for anyone. He took the lives of others. He showed yeah. that he was the representative of the one true life by taking lives from people. Jesus showed that he was the one true God by giving his own life for us. Mm-hmm. Which one is more evil and which one is more loving? 
Then I asked him just a very simple question. I said, uh, how many Muslim countries have you traveled to? Do you know what his answer was? None. He had never been to a Muslim country in his life. And I said, so you are able to give your life to Islam. Let me ask you this. How many police officers showed up at your door when you became a Muslim, demanding that you become a Christian again? How many <laughs> family members said that they were going to kill you if you did not convert back to Christianity? You don't have that freedom in other religions. He said, well, one of the things I didn't like, Eugene, is that when I was a kid, my grandparents made me go to Sunday school with them. And I said, okay, so you think that that was wrong, that your parents or your grandparents made you go to Sunday school? Yes, I do. They should not have forced it upon me. Okay. Can you name me one Muslim country where children are not forced to learn from the Quran from the day they arrive at their educational facility to the time they graduate? So if yeah. you have a problem with Sunday school, <laughs> can you imagine what your problem would be like if you were living in a Muslim country, my friend? Uh, he had to rethink. I tell you that he did not give his heart to Christ in that podcast, but it, he was right there. He had to rethink right. everything. Why? Because of what you just said. So many Christians do not know their Bible, and so many Christians do not know the dangers of Islam. Wow. Yeah, that's... that's and uh, you remember that uh, one of the conversations you had separate and I had separate with the guy named Noah, who wanted to get baptized begging and... He was a police officer's son in the, one of the Western countries. And the way he was, like he was a boy. And they said the world is haram. And they were keeping that boy inside the house. You remember that? Like he wanted, he found out Christ and he was 17. And he was desperate to get baptized. Do you remember that story? Like, I do, yes. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, and we do not know what happened to that child, isn't it? Like he disappeared. He disappeared. We really don't know what happened to him. So, yeah, I, very... I, I really love these stories that you are sharing because they highlight um, real testimonies from the field that are happening today. Things that are um, taking place in other countries that we may not understand or know about because we've been watching the latest football game. We've been paying attention to the latest election scandal. Uh, we've been listening to politicians debate one another. Uh, we've been, you know, busy going to parent-teacher meetings or our children's soccer practice. Uh, we have been really focusing on getting that promotion at our job or buying a new house or getting that new car. And so these things are happening around us that are changing yeah. the world in which we live. And many of us don't even know that it's happening. So I thank you so much, Banu, for highlighting these stories and bringing them to us week after week. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Eugene. But another thing, when you said, like, we are busy in all these things, all my friend Fatima wants one thing because she has everything at her disposal. Like, she, she you know, she lacks nothing. All she wants her husband's salvation. <laughs> and they're crying out for their family's salvation. They do not want anything. So there are believers who are just crying out for salvation. So let's join them in prayers. Thank you so much for having me, Eugene. Thank you so much, sister, for coming and joining us. And thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless.